take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 6. Uh, it's on page 947 if you have one of our Bibles <clears throat> here. And uh, we were in John chapter 6 last week. We, we looked at the first 22 verses and, and then uh, today, or uh, 21 verses. Today we're going to start in verse 22 and finish out the rest of the chapter. Just a quick recap from last week. We watched Jesus uh, feed well over 5,000 people. We talked about how it was closer to 15 to 20,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two fish, right? Pickled or dried fish. Just, just this piddly amount of food. Jesus was able to feed all these people. And, and it revealed to the crowd that he was this, the, the prophet who was to come, the prophet like Moses. They tried to take him by force and, and make him their king because they were so convinced of that. And then after that, he, he, uh, he, but he went up on the mountain to, to get away from them, and, and then his disciples got in a boat, and they went across the Sea of Galilee, and he came out to them, what? Walking on water, right? Revealing that he's not just the prophet like Moses, that the prophet like Moses is actually God himself, right? Now, the term disciples in in John's gospel and, mo and all of the gospels, we might think disciples and we might immediately think of the 12, but there were many that were following Jesus as disciples. Disciple literally means to follow. It's, it's a follower, somebody um, uh, that, that's following a teacher, okay? Many people were following Jesus for various reasons, and in our passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus confront this crowd that keeps coming to him. And Jesus himself is going to define what it means to truly be a disciple of his. Some will find Jesus' words in this passage strange and confusing, like some of these disciples did that we'll see. Some might, may even find his words outright offensive, like some of the disciples did that we'll see. But anyone who listens to these words of Jesus carefully and takes them to heart will find Jesus' words to be life-giving nourishment for your soul. So I know, I know we did our, our corporate time of prayer together, but I want to pray that the Lord would open our eyes and hearts specifically to this passage, and then we'll dig in together. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we pray that you would help us behold your glory in the face of your Son this morning and live you would bring nourishment to our souls through your word that is faithful and true and lasts forever and by your spirit who dwells in us and again for those who have yet to believe in Jesus that today through his own words they would be convinced of who he is and believe we love you and we pray this in Jesus name amen we're going to talk a lot about food this morning okay um, so I hope you didn't skip breakfast, and I hope you're not thinking about lunch already. Uh, if you hear a rumbling up here, it's because I had a little bit of breakfast, but I, um, maybe not, maybe not enough, okay? Um, this, we're gonna talk about bread, and I love bread. I don't know about you guys, I went off on, like, my whole passion about Stromboli a few weeks ago. I don't even remember what I was talking about then, but part of the reason I love Stromboli so much is because of the bread that it comes in, Okay? And if you know anything about bread, bread is like, it's really filling and satisfying like right away, but, but then not too much later, it's like, what, did I eat anything? Right? It's kind of like pasta. It's the same sort of thing. It leaves you wanting more. 
here's the point that we're going to see in this passage this morning, okay? Jesus is going to take physical bread and, and use it as a metaphor to show that he's the spiritual bread, and this is what he's going to teach us. Jesus is the bread of life, and anyone who feeds on him will never be hungry again. I know that sounds weird, maybe, if you've never heard it put that way. But this is what he says himself, so let's, let's dig in and find out why, okay? We're going to start with the first uh, seven verses. We're looking at Luke, or Luke, John, chapter 6, verses 22 through 29. The next day, this is the day after he fed the 5,000 plus. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw where he, uh, that there had only been one boat. They saw also that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord ha- had given thanks. When, they, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Now, this crowd that was well fed by Jesus the day before, that they're hungry again, right? We all know this. We, we can't even make it a full day without going for, for more than one meal, right? We feel those hunger pangs. So what did they do? They're like, hey, this guy gave us bread and, and fish yesterday. Let's go find him again. But he wasn't where they thought he would be, and so they jumped into the boats, and they went all over the place looking for him. They found him on the other side of the lake at Capernaum, and they wondered how he got there because his disciples took the boat that they came in, and it takes a while, it takes longer to get there on foot than, than the, uh, the allotted time that had passed. And then they got there and they called him rabbi, teacher, right? When did you get here? Like Nicodemus when he came to Jesus at night in chapter 3, interested in the signs that Jesus was performing. Rabbi. And and just like Jesus did with Nicodemus, here he also cut to the chase with these people and redirected the conversation from physical things to spiritual things. Now, we need to understand this. Jesus never says anything frivolous. There's no throwaway statement with Jesus, okay? But when he begins a sentence with, truly I tell you, it means that whatever he says next, we want to pay attention careful attention to. We need to think about this, meditate on this. And in verse 26, he starts his sentence with that phrase in order to expose the crowd's real motive for coming to him. They saw signs that he was performing, like healing the sick. That's why they came to him in the wilderness in the first place. And then they benefited from him while they were in the wilderness uh, from one of those signs by getting a free meal, but they missed the point of the signs. He said, truly I tell you, you're, you're not even coming to me because you saw the signs. You're coming to me because I gave you something to eat. They missed the point of the signs. They thought that the signs 
pointed to Jesus' miraculous ability, but the signs actually pointed to Jesus' messianic identity. One commentator put it this way. He said, their excitement was that Jesus could take away their hunger, not that he had come to take away their sins. For them, the miracle bread was the gospel. Think about how eager they were. This was good news that they found somebody that could give them bread and fish. So they went all over kingdom come to find him. When we have good news or something we think is good news, we rearrange our lives around that. Jesus told them, listen, you're going to all this work just to get another meal that will ultimately leave your bellies empty again. Instead, you're coming to me, but instead come to me to, to, uh, to fill uh, or for food that will fill you with eternal life. He was telling them to stop focusing on their physical need and to recognize their spiritual need. But all they heard was, you need to work harder to get better food. And so what was their response? They asked him, what does God want us to do to get this food? Tell us how, and we'll get it. We'll do it. Jesus answered, this is what God requires of you, that you believe in the one that he has sent. You see, nobody can work hard enough to gain eternal life. It's something that God gives freely as a gift to anyone who believes in his son, Jesus Christ. The goal of John's gospel is not that we would see the signs that Jesus performs and then work our way to salvation and eternal life. The goal of John's gospel is that these signs would point us to the work of salvation that Christ himself has done already for us. That we would believe, as John says in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life, eternal life in his name. You see, the work, quote unquote, that God requires from us is to have faith in his son whom he sent to do the work of salvation for us. You cannot do anything to reconcile yourself to God. What God wants from you is faith. What God wants from you is to believe that his son did everything for you. After Jesus fed them with the loaves and the fish the day before, the the crowd was convinced that he was this long-awaited prophet sent by God. But his teachings here, prophets prophets are are known for for bringing the word of God to the people. But they're like, hold on. Now he's saying some weird stuff. This isn't jiving with what, what we know about the prophets. They're having second thoughts. And so they wanted Jesus to give them more proof. Look at verse 30. What sign then are you gonna do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you gonna perform Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. The crowd said, listen, if you're really the prophet like Moses, then we need to see you do more signs like Moses did. Like, like they, they've gone from, from uh, uh, being convinced that he is and wanting to take him by force to make him king 
to being like, we need to see some more, some more things. Never mind the fact that he just fed nearly 20,000 people with, with scraps, right? They said, hey, Moses gave our ancestors manna in the wilderness, so what are you going to do? Again, not thinking about the fact that he gave them bread in the wilderness the day before. Jesus replied with another truly I tell you statement. He said, hold on, first of all, let's, let's make something very clear here. Moses didn't give you squat. My father gave you manna in the wilderness. Gave your ancestors manna in the wilderness. And now my father is the one who has sent the true bread from heaven, not just for you, but to the world to give life to the world. But the crowd still fixated on physical bread. Remember, they're hungry. The response was similar to that of the woman at the well in chapter four when Jesus told her about the living water. There's a theme in John's gospel of, of this misunderstanding where, where Jesus is talking with people about these physical things and they can't get past the physical idea to the spiritual thing. To the, a lot of times they're metaphors. She said, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty. The crowd said, sir, give us this bread always, right? They missed the point of what Jesus was saying. So listen, we also need to see the grace and the patience of Jesus as he works through this. I would, I would be done already with these people. Like, I don't know how else I can say it to you, right? But I, I need to remember that I'm more like these people than unlike these people. And Jesus is patient with all of us as he reveals himself in clearer ways to us. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, verse 35 is the first of seven specific I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. John likes the number seven. It's a number of completeness. He's, he's using seven signs in his gospel to show that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah. John also records uh, seven general I am statements that are made by Jesus. We heard one of those last week when he walked out on the water and said, it is I, in the Greek, that literally means I am. Don't be afraid. And anytime Jesus says the words I am, it's a reference, an allusion that, uh, back to uh, the book of Exodus, when God identified himself to Moses, Moses said, hold on, who should I tell them who is sending me? The people in Egypt, they don't believe me anyway. They, they, they kicked me out. Who should I tell them sent me to come deliver them? And God said, tell them I am. I am that I am has sent you. By saying I am, every time we hear Jesus say that in John's gospel, we need to hear him say, I am God. That's what he's saying. He's identifying himself as God. Last week we saw 
Jesus provide the bread. This week, Jesus is the bread. Imagine that. And he equated coming to him with believing in him in verse 35. He says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and the one, no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Those are interchangeable phrases we're going to see over and over again through this passage. Coming to Jesus, the way he's talking about it means believing in him. And in verse 36, he told the crowd, you've come to me for food, but you haven't come to me in faith. There's a difference. He said, you don't believe, so you're still hungry and you're still thirsty. Have you come to Jesus in faith through belief? Are you still looking for someone or something else to satisfy the hunger of your heart and the thirst of your soul? We live in a, in a world that, that makes us hungry and thirsty, right? Listen to these incredible promises of Jesus this morning. Listen, the one who comes to me, the one who believes in me, I will never cast out. Never. If you come to Jesus, it, that is, if you believe in him, he will never turn you away. Listen, this is, this is so important right here. Jesus will never look at your life and say, nope, I don't want you. If you come to him in faith, he will not look at you and say, listen, you don't make the cut. You've done way too much bad stuff. Your life is way too messy. I don't have time for you. No, no, no. What does he promise? Anyone and everyone who comes to me, who believes in me, I will never, never cast away. What a beautiful promise that is. You'll never have too much baggage for Jesus. No one who comes to Jesus in faith ever has to fear being rejected by him. We're rejected by so many people and so many things, aren't we? Jesus is not one of those if you come to him. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This is his promise. And Jesus himself will raise us up on the last day. That means that physical and spiritual death no longer have any power over those who believe in Jesus. So, so why not come to him in faith? What better offer is there out there? Back in chapter 4, Jesus told his disciples, I have food that you don't know about. After he talked to the woman at the well, the disciples came back and they're like, would you please eat something? So I have food that you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Here he said, the will of him who sent me is that I should lose none of those that he's given to me. That is an incredible promise for us as believers. Everyone that comes to Jesus in faith has been given to him by the Father. Verse 37, everyone the Father gives to me will come to me. In chapter 3, verse 35, it says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. That includes us as believers. We're a gift to Jesus from the Father. Don't let that, like, don't let that 
blow up your, your head into arrogance. But listen to that for what it is. God is gracious. He's the giver of all good things, and he has, in his divine will, decided to give people who deserve condemnation to his own son who deserved nothing but adoration and praise and was condemned in our place. The Father has given us to his Son as an expression of his love for his Son and his love for us. And because the Son loves the Father and loves us, he will not lose anyone that the Father gives to him. He will be faithful to keep us to the very end. We sung about that this morning. Jesus, over and over and over again, will see this phrase repeated, I will raise them up on the last day. Now listen, that means something to us. If your faith is truly in Christ, then your salvation is secure. You cannot lose your salvation if you believe in Jesus because Jesus will not lose you. L hear that. You cannot lose what God has given to you because it's not yours to lose. Because he's given you not just to anyone or anything, he's given you to his son who is king of kings and lord of lords who makes promises that he does not break and he promised, I will raise you up on the last day. You tell me how that's possible if we can walk away and lose our salvation. We need to look at the other side of that, though. Paul makes an argument in Romans 6. I encourage you to go read that. If your faith is truly in Christ, you, you, you'll never lose your salvation, but that doesn't mean that uh, we have free reign to go on sinning so that his grace may abound. Right? One of the ways that you, you have assurance in your faith, one of the ways that you know that, that Christ has redeemed you is that your life is changed by him and that you begin to follow him. Your desires move further and further away from the sinful things that you once loved and closer and closer to Jesus himself. Your affections are turned toward him. Your whole life is turned toward him. It doesn't mean that when we do sin and we will still sin, I don't think I have to convince anybody of that. It doesn't mean that when we do sin that we'll never experience consequences for it. There's a difference between the father disciplining his children and, the, and God condemning sinners. Here's what it means. It means that even if and or when we sin grievously, against our Lord, he will not abandon us or cast us out because we are his forever. I will not lose any of those that the Father has given me. Once we belong to Jesus, we're his forever because he has redeemed us from the penalty of our sin. God does not put that back on our shoulders. And he will continue to redeem us from the power of sin until he finally redeems us from the presence of sin. Oh, I can't wait for the day when I don't have to say that anymore. 
because it's all already done. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. It's a guarantee. And Jesus will raise us up on the last day. Jesus made it clear to this crowd that, that God sent true bread from heaven and gives life to the world, and Jesus is that bread sent from heaven. But some of the Jews thought they knew better. They thought they knew who Jesus was, and they started to get frustrated with him. Look at verse 41. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they were saying, isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? Whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It, it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Israelites grumbled in the wilderness over God's provision of manna. And now the Jews began to grumble over God's provision of the bread of life. Humans are good at grumbling, aren't we? Just a reminder, when John says the Jews in his gospel, rarely is he referring to the entire people group as a whole. When he says the Jews, he's, he's most often in his gospel referring to those particular Jews that are against Jesus and opposed to him. So we need to understand that as we hear their response here. They think they know who he is, right? They, they, they knew Jesus' parents, and so they said, wait, hold on. He's saying he came from heaven, but we know he came from Nazareth. What's up? They didn't believe him, and Jesus explained the reason why. Listen, stop grumbling. Here's why you're not believing. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, Jesus has already equated coming to him with believing in him back in verse 35. And so he's telling the Jews here in verse 44, no one can believe in me. No one can come to me. No one can believe in me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, some people would say that God draws everyone to Jesus and they, chose, and they choose to accept or reject his offer of salvation. But track with me just for a minute. Look back at what Jesus told them in verse 36. He says, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. In other words, you have not come to me. But in verse 37, Jesus said, everyone that the Father gives me will, what? Come to me, will believe in me. So let's listen to Jesus' own logic here. If no one is able to believe in him unless the Father draws them, and everyone that the Father gives to Jesus will believe in him, then it stands to reason that those whom the Father draws are those whom the Father has given to the Son. 
In other words, anyone who believes has been given the desire and the ability to do so by the Father. You see, salvation is God's sovereign initiative. We are unable to come to Jesus on our own. We read that in Romans 8 for our prayer time. Anyone who has the mindset of the flesh is unable. It's not just that we're unwilling, it's that we're incapable. Just because salvation is God's sovereign initiative, that doesn't mean that the responsibility of man to believe in Jesus is removed. We already saw Jesus say to the crowd back in verse 29, this is the work of God. This is what God requires from you, that you believe in the one he sent. In verse 40, he said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. But Jesus told them, you have seen me, and you do not believe that means that they didn't have eternal life. And John has been very clear in his gospel about what happens to those who don't believe. John 3:18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Romans 8:1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But John says anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son. Now our tendency, sometimes we get we get like log jammed in this, trying to straighten this out, even among believers. Do we choose God? Does God choose us? How does this work, right? Our tendency is to want to resolve this tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, but Jesus is perfectly comfortable living in both of these realities. He's made, he's made definitive statements for both things in this text this morning. And if anyone knows exactly how salvation works, who do you think that might be? Jesus, right? And so we have to learn to rest in his authority and his ability to declare, look at this, on the one hand in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And on the other hand in verse 50, anyone may eat of this bread and not die. We could spend the rest of our Sundays together trying to reconcile those two statements and we won't. But we don't have to. Why? Because the simple command is to believe. It's to believe in the one that God sent. That is where we stand and fall. Do you believe what Jesus is saying? If not, you remain condemned. Do you believe what Jesus is saying? If you do, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We'll figure it out when we get there when he raises us up on the last day. In verse 45, Jesus told them how the Father draws people to him, by teaching them. He illuminates their minds and their hearts with spiritual understanding in fulfillment of the new covenant promise he made through the Old Testament prophets. We don't have time to dig into all of those. Go look at Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I'll give them a new heart. I'll pour my spirit into them. They'll, they'll, uh, uh, and I'll put my law in them and, and cause them, he says, to obey it. Jesus said, everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. But then he clarified in verse 46 that only he has actually seen the Father. 
We've already seen this in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The, only, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So how do people listen to and learn from the Father? By listening to and learning from the Son. Jesus is the logos of God. He is the, the, the message, the word of God. The Son is the Father's ultimate self-revelatory message to his people. Hebrews 1 opens up, long ago God spoke through the prophets. These days he's spoken to us through his Son. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through what? The message, the, the word, the message about Christ. This is why we open the word. This is why we open the Bible and, and preach Christ every Sunday. This is why all of our songs are directed not to ourselves, but to God, to Christ, because he is the one that gives life. Jesus saves. You and I don't. Jesus changes hearts. You and I don't. When we understand that, it takes tremendous burden, tremendous pressure off of our shoulders when it comes to evangelism, doesn't it? Doesn't it? God has not called you to save the lost. Listen, God has not called you you to save the lost. He's called you to proclaim the message of salvation to the lost and point them to the only Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a huge difference. So here's, here's what that means for us. If people reject Jesus after hearing the gospel, praise God that it's not because you messed up the gospel presentation. Listen, you need to know the gospel. That's the message if we're to devote any, like, we ought to be like the people that are, that are going all over the lake in the boat looking for Jesus. We ought to put that kind of effort into knowing in our minds and in our hearts and to use our, our words or, or even better yet, the words of scripture to organize those into being able to present the gospel to someone else. You need to know the gospel and you don't need to just know it, you need to be able to speak it. But when somebody rejects it, it's not because you messed it up. Praise God for that. It's because the Father has not drawn them to the Son yet. And because no one knows whom God will draw or when he will draw them, we keep praying that he will draw them as we keep proclaiming the gospel to them. Look at Jesus. And if they come to Christ in faith, it's not because you nailed the gospel presentation or because you came up with some rock-solid argument and debated them into the kingdom. I guarantee you it's not because you posted something on Facebook or Instagram. It's because the Father opened their eyes as he did ours. It's because the Father enabled them to see the Son for who he truly is and enliven their hearts to open their ears to hear the, the, the words that, that come out of Jesus' own mouth and, and enlivened our hearts, their hearts, to believe those words, to believe that reality. 
So you get the joy of telling people about the bread of life. And God gets the glory for actually giving them the eternal life that they need. Jesus saves. We don't. Jesus changes hearts. We don't. Just a quick word of encouragement for any of you in here who may not yet believe in Jesus, but like all of this is sort of terrifying to you and you start wondering, well, is he even going to give me a thought? What do I do? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to turn away from me? What if God doesn't draw me? I want you to understand something. The fact that that has any concern in your heart is already evidence that the Father is working in you to draw you to his Son. People who oppose Jesus are rebellious. We were rebellious. We don't care about God until God cares enough to make us care, right? Don't forget his promise. Anyone who comes to me, anyone, I will never cast out. I will never turn away. So come to Christ. Do it today. Don't walk away. Believe in him and he will not withhold eternal life from you. Don't miss the truly I tell you statement that Jesus made in verse 47. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. That includes you if you put your trust in Jesus. In verse 51, Jesus gave a crucial detail about the heavenly bread to the people standing here. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. That point had already been clearly established, right? So he continued, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Yeah, we got that. Check that box. But then he said, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's getting weirder, right? He was hinting at how he would bring about the eternal life that he was promising, but the Jews were not picking up on the hint. Look at verse 52. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna that your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. The Jews were dumbfounded, bewildered by Jesus' comments. They weren't naive enough to think that he was actually talking about cannibalism here, but they, were, they, they couldn't make sense of this, right? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is crazy talk. Now we understand why later we'll hear some say that he has a demon or that he's drunk or a Samaritan. 
That one we'll work on later. To drink the blood of anything was forbidden, strictly forbidden by Jewish law. In Leviticus 17, 10 and 11, God told the people, anyone from the house of Israel and from the aliens who reside among them, who eats any blood, I will turn against that person who eats blood and cut, off, and cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've appointed it to you, the blood, to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the life blood that makes atonement. But that's exactly the point that Jesus was making here. The reason why in John 1 we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us is because he came to give his flesh, his physical body over to death on the cross and to shed his blood as an atoning sacrifice in order to reconcile sinners to God. He wasn't telling them to literally eat his body and drink his blood. He was using physical metaphors to communicate spiritual truths. Listen to his last truly I tell you statement in verse 53. Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. He he was telling them, listen, you're no better off than your ancestors who ate the manna and died. That bread, that manna could not give them eternal life and you don't have life in yourself. Nor do you have eternal life unless you eat the true bread from heaven, and I am that true bread. Remember what he said in verse 35? I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. In other words, come to me, Jesus is saying, and eat and drink. Eating is believing. Drinking is believing. To eat the flesh of the Son of Man is to believe that his body was broken on the cross to pay for your sins. To drink the blood of the Son of Man is to believe that his blood was shed to cover your guilt and purchase your forgiveness and give you eternal life. Life is in the blood. This is the work of God that you believe in the one that he has sent. Verse 28. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Verse 47, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Any, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Verse 51, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 54, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 57, the one who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 58, eating is believing. Drinking is believing. It's believing that Jesus Christ gave his body and his blood as a substitute sacrifice, a necessary sacrifice on your behalf to take your sin upon himself and give you his perfect righteousness in its place. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Anyone who refuses to believe in him this way is not a true disciple of Jesus, as we're about to see. Look at verse 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? 
then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe in the, in the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Back in verse 45, Jesus said, everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Contrast that with what the disciples said in verse uh, 60. This teaching is hard. Who, who can accept it? Literally, who can listen to it? They may have come to Jesus physically, but they did not come to Jesus spiritually. And so they, they turned back and no longer accompanied him. Why? Because they did not believe. They didn't believe. And this was getting too weird, and they were out. But Jesus wasn't surprised by their response. Why? Because he knew from the beginning who would believe and who wouldn't. He even knew who would betray him. Remember, Jesus is God. No one can come to him on their own. We are unable, incapable of doing so. It must be granted to us by the Father, and he grants it to us by giving us life through the Spirit when we hear the words of Jesus. The Spirit and the Word work together to bring life through the Son according to the will of the Father. These so-called disciples didn't believe because they still had dead hearts. They did not have life in themselves because the flesh does not help at all in gaining life. And they had not yet been made alive by the Spirit. So what did they do? They walked away from Jesus when they didn't like what they heard. They had more desire to take him by force and to make him their political king than they did to believe his words and surrender their own agenda to the king of heaven and earth. They were offended by him and they wanted nothing more to do with him. But not everyone, not everyone left. Look at verse 67, we'll finish up here. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the 12, because he was going to betray him. Jesus wasn't asking the 12 this question for his own sake. Remember, he knew from the beginning who would believe and who wouldn't. He knew from the beginning who would betray him. There's nothing Jesus doesn't know here. He wasn't suddenly worried that the 12 would abandon him too, like, oh man, what did I say? Everybody's leaving, right? He asked this question for their sake, to prompt them to a confession, to get them to articulate, to speak words themselves about why they stayed, to bolster their faith. Peter gave the answer, because Peter is Peter. Likes to be the first one to speak. But he gave an answer that we should all freely confess ourselves, right? Lord, where else are we going to go? What else is there? You hold the words of life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. <coughs> Eternal life is found in no one else apart from Jesus Christ and in nowhere else apart from 
his word. Jesus is the bread of life, and his words are spirit and life. Listen, Peter's answer is true, but Peter and the rest of the 12 didn't fully grasp the depth of all that that meant. And we know Peter, his, his personality, perhaps his answer had a hint of arrogance to it as if he looked at the rest of the 12 and were like, hey, we got your back. We're still here. And so Jesus was quick to remind the 12 that they did not choose him, but he chose them, even the one who would betray him. Jesus chose them according to the Father's redemptive plan. But listen, the Father did not draw Judas to Jesus in faith. Judas came to Jesus physically, but not spiritually. And we'll see that reality even more clearly when we get to chapter 18, when Judas actually betrays Jesus. Peter answered on behalf of the 12, but he didn't know all that Jesus knew. Jesus knew from the beginning who would believe. He knew from the beginning who would betray him. It was through Judas's betrayal that Jesus would actually give his flesh for the life of the world. Jesus knows what he's doing. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that anyone, everyone, who believes in him, who comes to him, who feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood, not in, in uh, literal ways, but through belief. Anyone and everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his one and only son as bread from heaven to bring eternal nourishment to spiritually hungry souls. Jesus is the bread of life, and anyone who feeds on him will never be hungry again. So feed on him. Believe in him, and he will raise you up. Listen, he will, not might, not wishes, will raise you up on the last day because Christ himself was raised up on the third day. So as those who found eternal nourishment in the bread of life, then let us offer this bread to those who remain spiritually hungry so that they too may eat and live. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we are fully and finally satisfied in him. We thank you for your love to draw us to him, to provide all that we need to have eternal life in him. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us humble and grateful for this bread and that we would freely and eagerly share it with others because it multiplies and never runs out. Lord, save your people. Be glorified in all of it. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.